Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Up next on Inside Champ Car, almost breaking news and a chat with Bernie Myers. Welcome to the Inside Champ Car Podcast. I'm Brian Bolanski. And I'm Bill Strong. And we are here to do the fourth episode. It's, eventually we'll have so many episodes I'll forget the number. But episode four of Inside Champ Car. A little later in the show, Bernie Myers is going to join us. He's from Blue Shells Racing and a former team manager and crew chief for Dale Coyne Racing in their IndyCar, Champ Car, whatever they called it at the time, CART programs. I liked cart. I did too. That's just me. I do too. He's going to join us for what is what turned out to be a really, really long and amazing interview, but really long in all the best ways. So you're going to want to gave all the secrets out. Yes, you have to stay. You have to stay tuned. All the secrets. Anyway, so we're going to get to that here. We told him we weren't recording. I know. I know. We lied. (laughs) We lied. No. Uh, So. So we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But before that, we have some breaking news, or almost breaking news. This is exciting. You got to do the uh, breaking news uh, bulletin. You're going to have to come up with that sound effect. I know. I know. Yeah. So uh, the summer of 24s is back at the, uh, uh, you know, the champ car employees. Not so much happy about it, but uh, the racers are. Two 24s this year. We're doing Nelson Ledges. Sorry. The longest day of Nelson Ledges nice. is back on the schedule. 24 hours of racing at the famed Nelson Ledges track. Um, <laughs> or the infamous. <laughs> well, infamous too, but it's, it's, it is so fast now. They yeah. repaved it, new ownership. Uh, it got a repave. They've got new buildings going up. Um, even control. I'm being told that control um, is being redone inside because the last wow. time we were there, all the walls were gone. So hopefully they're back because it was cold. But yeah, um, yeah. it's uh, it's in the middle of summer. It is July fifteenth through right. the seventeenth. We have a test day on Friday. Um, you're allowed to move in there on Thursday. Friday test day, Saturday and Sunday, twenty four hours of absolutely insane speed racing. Because I don't think you hit the brakes on that road course at all. <laughs> I mean, it's just. Go, go, so, go as fast as you can. So back in the day, that was, I mean, if you thought Sebring was bumpy, that Sebring is oh, yeah. a, bill- a, a, a pool table compared to Nelson Ledges. Well, you know? I don't know about that. But I was, <laughs> I, I was actually, last night I was watching a video of uh, of a race we did. We, we were leading the race um, at Nelson Ledges, the 24-hour, and we ended up breaking a hub, or a, yeah, a hub broke. Right. <laughs> what you know, of course that's that's my thing <laughs> and my guy put it in the tire walls that track is famous for the billions of tires yep um that are spread around to help keep maintain you know keep you in the racetrack though i have seen cars hit those and launch yeah. and space shuttle you know style liftoffs but um yeah you test uh, your dental lo- work at nelson yeah. ledges 
Oh yeah. They, and, and well that, and that time that track was really bumpy. Um, it was, there was potholes. You had to dodge the concrete flying off the tires in front of, from the car in front of you. Um, the, uh, and if you got off into the grass, they had so much rain a couple of times when we raced there that if you got into the grass, you were stuck there for a while. We may not have found you cause you would have sunk somewhere. Yeah. Or, um, um, it, yeah, you just got lost and you never turned the wheel trying to correct. You right. just went straight because if you turn the wheel, you would dig in and flip the car, yeah. which happened a couple of times. Gotcha. Now they have done some serious drainage fixes at that track. Um, we don't have those those issues anymore with basically Lake Nelson. Yeah. Um, it's uh it it's the the road or the road surface. The track surface was completely repaved. Um there's th- some of the bumps, you know, the Yeah the things that make it a racetrack have, have come back um, from settling. But uh, other than that, it's, it's super fast. And so the times I think were for our race cars, I think it was like a seven second faster right, track right. than it was per, you know, previous races we had done there. So, so what's the dates? Uh, July 15th through 17th for Nelson ledges. And then we're back in August um, which is, uh, let me pull that up. Cause I don't know this by heart. August 12th through the 14th, which is at Virginia international raceway. That's a test day in a 24 hour. Um, that's a classic 24. That's the one we do on full course. And, uh, that's the one that you bring good lighting because nothing is as dark as VIR <laughs> dark. And speaking it of lighting, so our tech tip a little bit down the, down the road here is going to be about lighting. So yeah, we're yeah. going to talk about yep. that coming up too. So is Nelson a true 24 or is it a 12 and 12 or, oh, or it is, is it a, broke up? Both of them are two 24. Got it. That's if we're doing a 24, we're doing a 24 hour. There's okay. none of this half ass stuff. It's, it's full <laughs> bore, buddy. All right. All right, man. You know, it's uh bring your big boy pants because uh it's our big girl pants too. Yes. Or big, whatever. Pants. Yes. Um, <laughs> It's, it's just, uh, it's one of those tracks and you have to be prepared. Um, it's, you know, there's not a lot of part stores around that area. Sure. Um, so bring you, bring your stuff and, uh, be prepared to do some welding at night and fixing those cars and fixing those bit, bit bits from, uh, from racing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Next up for champ car is the Oak tree 12 hour. What do we need to know for that? Um, Sign it's up, at night. It's yeah, at night. it's at night. Yeah, it's it's uh, currently um, we have 28 cars signed up, and that's nice. about what we usually have, 30, okay. 30 to 34 cars. And we'll get more as, as we go. Uh, that's going to be an exciting race. It's uh, it's it always comes down to the very end. I, she's first time I ran that. It was between me and James Clay and his uh, Bimmer World guys. Um, they uh they ended up beating us and I still think they kind of beat us on a, they pitted on the start finish line. So I think they got credit for some laps. I was uh, told they did, but yeah, go. that would have been our first race win, but we finished second that race and we have a, a bunch of folks coming down bliss racing in their Camaros who I've raced with a couple of times. Great crew, man. These guys are awesome to race with. So laid back and they've got Camaros in nothing's better than a Camaro sound. Nice. Um, nice. Although the Mustang guys will say different. But um, we have uh, who else is going? Full Send Racing will be there. Hammered Racing, uh, uh, Maximum Efforts there with their Mazda Miata. Um, the Prancing Donkey Racing, love that. RVA Graphics with both uh, cars there this weekend, and that's kind of my favorite car for that weekend. Um, they'll do really well. Sparrow Speed, Tag Racing, the Stug is there. Oh, and the Enterprise is back. Um, 
Uh, that's that big LTD that races with us. He was supposed to be at the last race, but I guess couldn't, couldn't yeah. make it. Uh, Virginia tech will be there with their brand new Ford focus SVT. Nice. Um, Virginia tech, uh, you know, I keep telling them they need to really change their colors to blue, to, uh, to blue and orange. Yeah. But that ain't going to happen. That. No, no, they're, you know, the, they don't have enough, uh, UVA stickers on it, but I may stick a UVA <laughs> sticker on that car one day when they're not looking. Yeah, yeah, it's wild awesome. hair racing in their Miata. But there's a lot of Miatas and uh, E30s at this track. Oh, there's Prancing Donkey Racing and their 85 Trans Am. So we're going to see uh, see some big V8s against the little little cars. So, so that's going to be a fun race. Does Prancing Donkey play Dominic the Donkey in the pits during the race? Because that's what they should I, do. I don't know what you mean by that. You don't know Dominic the Donkey? No. Oh, that's that? one of the best Christmas songs ever. Okay. I'll have to, sh- I, I'll have to share I'll that take with your you word, next time. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> All right. You wanted to talk a little bit about Sonoma. Oh, wait. Oh, we forgot. CMP Racing will be there, too. Now, CMP also has a, a, a driver with them every now and then. Not every race, but that would be uh, Kenny Schrader. Oh, okay. He's kind of famous within NASCAR. Who? No, I'm just so, kidding. Yeah, yeah. Love if, Kenny if, Schrader. If Kenny's free from, from uh, the NASCAR commitments or whatever, the circle track stuff, where he makes his money. Right. Um, he'll be out probably racing with those guys. He's always a laugh and a trip to uh, hang out with because he has some stories. Oh, uh, gosh. He's one of the best awesome. interviews yeah. you'll ever have. So oh, we yeah. should get him on yeah. the show sometime. Yeah, we can. That'd I, be great. I should be able to. Yep. That'd be great. Uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about Sonoma. Yep. Sonoma's coming up. Uh, when is that? It's here? Uh, May 6th and 8th. <laughs> yes. May 6th yep. through the 8th. So currently we have a couple of cars signed up. We'd like to have a few more because, you know, a race is just more than two cars. Right. And right. Uh, uh, we have to get you guys out there. And uh, I know the Californians, they're a little more laid back and they're really not thinking about racing right now. They're uh, they're out doing their, you know, riding four wheelers out in the desert, and, <laughs> you know, kind of trying to worrying about that five dollar gallon gasoline. Is it pretty expensive out there? It's, it's up there. there. Yeah, it's 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 the cheap the cheap. Uh, cheap cheap gas is right around a four thirty a gallon yeah. now. So, yeah, sorry. but you know yeah. it's it's you know it's it's a thing. So and, fill up uh, in Nevada before you make it up to so- yeah. Sonoma, and hope you can get back to Nevada before you get leave. You know after you leave Sonoma, and you'll be fine. Yep. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so we have that race going on. We're trying to get some more California races going, but sure, it's. Uh, you know, it's, it's difficult this time of year, but right. we'll, we'll see what happens. I also want to take a second and remind everyone that if you want to go to the Ozarks on April 29th through the May, May 1st, that's the national championship race, and you want yep. the early pay discount, you have to pay before February 28th. That'll Which be about cool. a week and a half after this episode airs. So if you're thinking about going to the Ozarks, you haven't signed up yet, and you want to have that discount, you got to do that before the 28th of February. And the cool thing about our national championships, you don't have to be in the national championships to run it. You right. can still run for the overall win of the thing. Sure. Um but uh, you're just not going to get the really cool trophy right. and the, gifts the cooler, and cooler the, trophies. Yeah, right, right. yeah. But I mean, it's still pretty darn cool trophies. They they say awesome. we have some of the best uh, trophies in the business. We have, currently we have for Ozarks uh, 50 cars signed up. Wow. Um, yeah, that's going to be pretty wild. And I would say a third of those cars are teams that are in the championship. Right. So, got gotcha. you, got gotcha. you. 
All right, let's go to the tech tip. Tech tip time. We got some night racing coming up, and yep. uh, you, you have a, a, a variation on a theme of what I used to do uh, when getting ready for a night race. But you, ha- you, you, your idea is to take it another step. And what we're talking about now is obviously you have to put lights on the car, yep, or at least have the lights that are on the car working because you're doing right, a night, right. night race. And and but what happens if one of those lights goes out? You know, five minutes in. So one of the things that we're seeing is that teams really focus on the headlights because, you know, you're headed in racing. You're only going forward. You're not going backwards. You're going forward. Right. They don't pay as much attention to the brake lights. Mm. And um, those are normally incandescent bulbs, whereas the headlights are using LEDs or just HIDs or whatever. But uh, they can take shaking a lot more than what the taillights can. And uh, the taillights tend to be take a backseat to all the other stuff. So. Usually what we do is we put in all brand new bulbs in the back, make sure all the wiring is good, um, not rusted out and, you know, from that flood car you bought, but uh, make sure all the bulbs work. But we also put some spare bulbs back there. Um, And uh, what I do is uh, we take a piece of foam, you know, that foam you get when you ship something, you know, the poppy thing. Yeah, yeah. Popcorn. Um, Yeah. No, not popcorn. The uh, bubble wrap. Yeah, bubble wrap. Okay. So we take it. We take a couple of bulbs, mm-hmm. spares, and yep. we put them in the bubble wrap, and we tape it to a safe place in the trunk. Oh, okay. Um, either on the trunk lid, though. If your trunk lid sort of flies off, you're kind of without that. But right. the parcel shelf up under there, somewhere, somewhere safe and accessible that you can grab a spare bulb real quick and replace it in pit lane. Got you're it. not running. To, you're not running to your trailer looking for the spare thing when the guy's telling you it's in the truck glove box. You yeah. Know? You're 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 um it's there in the car. You don't have to run. We also run a spare uh gas cap down underneath there. Nice. Um, we just in case, you know, cuz nothing's worse than it. 2 o'clock in the morning, you take off that gas cap and that wire that was holding it to the car breaks or you know, something happened and the gas cap just rolls under the car. Of course, nobody has good lighting on pit lane and it rolls off and you can't find it. So you're spending there 10 minutes looking for another gas cap. It's up under the car. The same with head or same with the taillights. Yeah. And we do do some, some, um, we also had some tape one year. We, we had some issues with, uh, before we ran the LEDs, we put uh red that tape to fix headlights yeah. uh, or taillights, sorry, right. fix taillights and brake lights. We had a roll of that under there too, so that we could, pull that out and put it over the the brake lights uh, you know turn something into a brake light sure. to, uh, to do that so so, so here's yeah. a question again I, I, i'm i'm the new guy can i could i put like uh, an auxiliary led brake lights and tail lights on the car and just bypass the regular ones so you've got that yeah. long lasting led doesn't deal with the shakes kind of thing well that's what we did is i i, I ended up getting um uh, what do you call it? The trailer lights. Okay. That was another thing. A lot of guys did in the early days of chump car and lemons was we just ran trailer lights. Yeah. They were cheap. You could, they were bright. You know, they were easy to wire. Um, and so I took that a step further and got led trailer lights. Yeah. Um, the, the strip. Right. And then I bolted a couple of those to the taillight housing. Yeah. Um, and that worked fine. Now, like a lot of guys are getting really fancy now and get like NLS racing last weekend has some of the, coolest looking taillights right they got these round ones that have little star patterns coming out <laughs> when you hit the brake lights right and uh everybody on, i remember everybody on pit lane was like wow those are some cool lights man we need to look at getting some of those yeah i was but, thinking uh, they, of like the strip of lights on the deck lid like the trunk lid where you could just put like a strip of red leds and oh, yeah, wire them in those, as brake lights yeah, and just yeah, kind of completely um, is that legal 
technically, I mean, you can. See, I'm um, already trying to figure out how to, how to screw with the rule book. Well, it's not really screwing. As long as you have two distinct brake lights right. and two distinct uh, taillights. You know, uh, yeah, taillights. Right. You're, you're good to go. I mean, you couldn't light up your whole, the whole back of your car because, I mean, it has to be two separate right. lights. So. There's got to be a way. <laughs> yeah i mean you can't i mean we've seen guys do that yeah it's a cheesy way to i would use automotive stuff yeah you know that can take the vibrations because a lot of that stuff you buy off ebay or right craigslist or whatever some of it's just not designed for automotive work and they tend well, to and, vibrate and, and you could take those leds out of the trailer lights and just put them into the the stock lighting housing you could but the, l- listen to this okay if you if you get into a wreck or somebody hits your back bumper, you've now got to rebuild that during yeah. the race. Oh, yeah. If you get something that's stock or either stock or um, readily available that you can just pull out, bolt another one on, you're good to go. Yeah, good it's point. Quick. Good point. You want to keep it easy and simple to replace and there not have to customize something or have multiple custom ones built. Keep it simple. All right. And cheap. That keeps it cheap. Keep it simple and cheap. Words Spares. to live by. Yeah, and and a lot of these guys go, well, that's extra weight in my car with all these spares sitting in there. Yeah, you got to have a choice, man. It's you know you could you could clip them to the inside of the the toolbox, but you know that jumping around that toolbox jumping around in your trailer when you're hitting right. those potholes going through Chicago, that's uh those bulbs are going to get broke. Right. So you could save a second a lap over the course. Not even that. I don't think it would be a second a lap over the course of the entire race. Or you could spend three minutes trying to find the parts you need in the trailer to put it on the car. Well, longer the- than that because your trailer is usually sure. on the other side of the paddock. Sure. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's again, it's a trade-off. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right, Mel, that's going to do it for this episode. When we come back, we are going to talk with Bernie Myers in what turned out to be a, a great much longer than we, when he, well, I don't think we, we anticipated it being long. We no. really did. No. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> we knew we were going to have tons of questions. Anyway, when we come back, Bernie Myers joins us. This is Inside Champ Car. Every race weekend, you don't know what's going to happen. But with ChampCar.Live, all the action comes right into your living room. The Champ Car Endurance Series is North America's home to real competitive endurance road racing. And ChampCar.Live brings you live, full race coverage with in-car, trackside cameras, interviews, and expert commentary. And ChampCar.Live brings you live, full race coverage with in-car and trackside cameras, interviews, and expert commentary. Check out champcar.live on the web, subscribe, and ring the bell so as not to miss a single minute of the action. It's fun, free, informative, and it's just a click away. Champcar.live. Come check us out. We bring you a front row seat, but you'll only need the edge. Welcome back to Inside Champ Car. He's Bill Strong. I'm Brian Belansky. Joining us now, Bernie Myers. He's a member of Blue Shell's racing team. He's also a former team manager and crew chief for Dale Coyne Racing's IndyCar program. Yes, that IndyCar program, the Champ Car before Champ Car. Welcome, Bernie. Wait. Good morning, guys. Was... Thanks for having me. It's uh, hope everything's well with everybody. Uh, first thing I want to say is. This is just a great idea, the, the uh, Champ Car podcast. The cars, the parts, the hardware, that's all one thing. But the people and the stories, that's, that's something I'm really going to be looking forward to 
listening to in the on, upcoming uh, podcasts. So congrats. Well, thank you. I, you know, I, I'm just happy that Bill thought of me when he decided he wanted to do something like this and we were able to make it work out. I, I, uh, I love talking cars. I love talking racing. I love the people, you know, after 30 years of doing this, everyone says, you know, uh, you know, I, I tell people the cars are great, but I go to the racetrack every weekend because I have family there and none of those family are related to me, but they all are related to me. So, um, it's all part of the deal. So, sure. uh, yeah, I think we're all kind of in the same boat. Uh, you know, my whole life has been spent in motorsports. You know, everything I have is, uh, because of that. I, mar- I, I found, uh, my wife at, a. Uh, at the Indianapolis 500 and we got married shortly after that and I've been uh, not a paid driver but I've been a paid mechanic and a paid team manager and uh, a paid uh, uh, director of competition at some of the local races and now I'm getting paid to build race cars so it's uh, it's been a part of my entire life that's right I started at age 16 I was a crew chief on my dad's formula v and my t- entire knowledge was how to change the oil and how to change the tires and I was the crew chief cuz I was all that was there so it's a it's it's how a lot of us got started bill you 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 look you look quizzical yeah i'm i'm at a loss you started off this podcast by saying there was something prior to our champ car i don't <laughs> get that uh you know there there is that and then and then there's that so let's talk about that first uh bernie you have a long and storied history before coming to the current iteration of champ car um and and you, you know you you basically lived my dream, which I still dream about, you know, working in the pits in the garage for an IndyCar team, and and so let's start. Let's go back to the beginning. How did you get started in racing, just in general, before you even got to IndyCar? Because I'm sure that didn't happen overnight. No, in uh, in high school, I was a petroleum transportation engineer. I pumped gas at an Amoco station. A petroleum and the, transportation. And the owner, uh, Tom Turek and uh, Mike Montgomery, they had Turek Montgomery Sea Gas Monza. So our, my first experience was NHRA. They had a couple of seasons where they had the the class uh, ET record, and they did well. I w- uh, I took uh, and being I was working, you know, at, at, at junior and senior in high school, I didn't really care to go to college. I took up an apprenticeship at a body shop and I learned that craft. A lot of my friends were mechanics and had Chevys while I was a body man and had a Ford. Mm. So I had to do things a little bit differently. So I, I learned how to paint and do body work and I painted uh, Tarek and Montgomery's car. They, uh, soon after the Mazda was sold, they bought a really nice state-of-the-art Firebird that we painted up in, in silvers and blues and it was real pretty. And in 1988, NHRA ended up putting that car in their rule book. So that was pretty pretty neat to see your uh, yeah. work out there that was was recognized so well, wait uh, a second you didn't yeah. go to an engineering program at some big university that specialized in super fantastic aerodynamic stuff but you just no. uh started out as a proper mechanic i learned everything the hard way made a lot of mistakes along the way learned uh, you know the craft as best as i could had a lot of great people that i worked with uh, to teach me things and mm-hmm. i was a lot I, I don't think i've ever worked a day in my life i mean everything's just everything i've done has always been fun uh, i've enjoyed everything i've done and uh you know getting back to your question i just was all by do, doing things by experience trial and error making mistakes learning what you can and improving on it so, so wh- when did you make the the graduation from that to you know indycar but just uh, in the early 80s uh 
Dale Coyne needed a Super V painted. He bought a Super V from Alan Sir Jr. and he was campaigning that. I think it was 81 about that time. And Dale was uh, dating a friend of mine's sister. We grew up together and lived in the same neighborhood, we went to school. And he was dating Gail Coyne, which they eventually became married and they're still married today. So I painted that the was, car for Dale. And now was Dale still a- was Dale still racing then? He hadn't actually just retired and in, in running the team. He was actually still racing the cars, right? He was doing SCCA stuff. He had a uh, Cosworth oh, okay. okay. He was doing some showroom stock sure. things. And uh, he would and they bought the Super V and campaigned that for a couple of years. So I had painted that and he invited us to go to Milwaukee to watch. Uh, they were uh, a part of the uh, IndyCar race that was there a week after Indianapolis. So we go to the race and uh, they have their uh, race early Saturday, Sunday morning, maybe Saturday mm-hmm. afternoon. I don't remember. But we stayed for the IndyCar race. And uh, I, I went, we were, we had passes to go pretty much do what we wanted. So during the race, I went and sat on the wall by AJ Foyt's pit. And, uh, you know, he's a guy, obviously was an icon. And I looked yeah. up to for so many years, like as so many other drivers. So I'm sitting in the pit wall and here he comes in to do a pit stop and the car stops, car goes in the air, all the heat's rising from it. The fuel's going in. You hear the, the high revving wheel guns, the hubs, the wheels banging up against the hubs, flames out the back. And I saw this and I said, man, this is something I got to do. I mean, it was just, uh, it really took me back. So uh, Dale Kemp finished the season with his Super V and he, he called me up in the winter and said, hey, I'm thinking of getting uh, into IndyCar racing. You want to help? And I said, well, you know, I don't think he finished the sentence. And I was <laughs> already saying, yeah, let's go. So he bought a uh, 1981 Eagle. Yeah, uh, we, we campaigned the stock blocks for for several years, maybe six, seven seasons after that. And uh, he had a house. Was, uh, that, was that the Chevy stock blocks? It was. It was yeah. Because yeah. you were yeah, the only based team. On it. You were only team. You were the only team using the Chevy stock block at one point. No, at the at initially there was a couple. Um, yeah, because most everyone was using the Cosworths, right? Cosworth was the yeah. popular engine back then, right. but the Chevrolets were really economical. We we were working on a Dale's four car garage. He would rebuild the engines. Uh, I would take care of the chassis and the oiling system, and you know do all the maintenance and everything on that. We had a couple of helpers that would come do it, but basically it was just him and I for a few years. And the, the Gurney Eagle was a great car for a stock. It was made right. for a stock block, so it, it really worked well. I think uh, we had we, we struggled making races early on, and you know, we were. We were a, a, a you know small team, didn't have a lot of money. It was tough to compete against the Cosworths, but uh, there was so, a few times we did well. Going to that, you know, we have with Ch- with our current iteration of Champ Car, you show up to a race, you're in if you can get that car across start finish line. But with IndyCar um, in the top level, you had to qualify, and if you didn't qualify, you basically loaded up your car and went home. And and this happened to you guys a lot, right? It happened an awful lot. Uh, there was, uh, you know, some places would take twenty eight cars depending on pit space. Uh, the twenty four were were uh, you know qualified, and there was four promoters options. Well, they would always take the you know the fastest guys that didn't make the race. So there was several times there'd be thirty cars, thirty two, thirty four cars. So there was a lot of guys that went home, especially Indianapolis. We'll we'll get to that in a little bit. Right. Yeah, there was a lot of races early on where we went home. What's the feeling on that drive home? Because I've been to races where, you know, you you do well up until like maybe the third or fourth hour and boom, you're loading up on the trailer because just something stupid happened. But what's that feeling like on that drive home with you and the team? Just like what can we do to make this thing better? It's not working. 
it's it was tough, honestly, but we we all kept our heads up. Uh, we tried to make the car better every every time that it went out. We weren't going to give up by by any means. Dale was really one of the last uh, privateers, so to speak, that made right. it into IndyCar racing. Uh, we, we had competed in enough races that uh, I think in 83 or 84, there was appearance money. So you'd get money for each car that, that came, and that really helped to pay the bills and helped us to uh, you know step up ah, the program a little right. bit. But it you know, and and after that, that you know, it just became very, very expensive. And there's a lot of car owners that have come and gone over the years. That they've, uh, you know, they had two million dollars, but they spent five. And you know, after buying all the cars and fancy transporters and all that, they were never around. But Dale, he always spent what he had. If he had a hundred thousand dollars, that was his budget. If it was four million, that was his budget. So I right. got to give him credit for uh, for sticking in there through all the years. But things turned around. Uh, uh, the stock block we ran a 355 cubic inch engine at uh at the card events we were able to run a 390 at the speedway the speedway was pretty uh uh leaning towards stock block engines and the buick v6 turbo program and and all that so there was one year we went to indianapolis with 390 and uh it wasn't we, a 391 it, though it was a 390 <laughs> it wasn't a 391 it was a 390 it was based on the 355 but we had a, a big crank in it i'm trying to get the scoop <laughs> <laughs> but they were we, we made a we made a ton of horsepower uh bobby rahal was running a stock block at yeah. the time penske was developing a stock block there was an advantage to it on the road courses but not on the super speedways and the big tracks so we had bars so was, uh it was all aluminum block dan gurney cast oil pan uh we had barnes heads on it barnes is still a company that makes oil pumps and and, and that for uh, sprint cars and things so was well, we this were Dino Orange at Ron Shavers in California. He was the guy that built mm-hmm. many V8 engines for uh, sprint cars and World Outlaw cars and that. And he would never let us dyno during the day when his customers were around. We always had to uh, do it at night because we would put the needle in the gray area yeah. on his dyno where he wasn't at. So he had to, you know, well, we only had to do it at night. So we made great power, but they, there was valve train problems and oiling problems and the work to on-track fun was was pretty limited because we were always working on the car but they were great days i mean they were we were a crowd favorite you know everybody liked the noise right and we were a small team trying to run with the big guys so the, the stock block days were fun i enjoyed all of them so as a chief mechanic what was your job was it was it just everything or were you was it your focus the engine making it work or transmission or just the i mean just everything on the car in those days everybody on the team had to do a little bit of everything you know now everything's pretty specialized you have a gearbox guy you have a shot guy you have a front end guy a guy that does takes care of the carbon uh back then we had to do a lot of everything and that's something that i did i I would you know as i said dale did the engines back then with the stock block and then i would prep the car we also had the you know we had motorhome with a pull behind trailer behind it for several years and then uh yeah. As things evolved, I started out as a mechanic, went to a crew chief in charge of one car and one driver and all that. And then for the most of the time I spent at Dale Coins, I was team manager where I would oversee all the cars, all the, tra- the both transporters or hospitality bus, all the guys, make sure the parts were mileaged out. Uh, parts were there to be replaced when, when needed. Uh, I always changed outside front tire on Sundays. I, I enjoyed my time doing pit stops bit of uh, race strategy so there was a, you know uh i was in charge of putting all the decals on the car so if you missed a decal and th- that part of the car was shown on tv 
with no decal. You heard about it for of a course. long time. I, I know all about that, Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> I know all about that. Well, an, an outside front tire changer, that's the that's the job that requires a whole lot of of courage. <laughs> Yeah, because you're you're essentially being your your driver's driving towards you. You're you are you are pretty much in the crosshairs right until the last second and they move over and and pull in. That's got to take some. What was that like? Well, we we prided our I prided myself on I was really I'm going to brag a little bit. I was really good at changing the front tire and we practiced. I probably changed tens of thousands of tires back at the shop, just practicing and practicing and practicing. I could do it in a really big hurry make a wing adjustment, watch over the guys, make sure there was no traffic coming in and let the guy go. So I was, I was really good at changing it, but early on, there was no pits. There was no pit speed limit. We right. didn't wear helmets. We're at Indy at the you know beginning of the pit lane. Cars are flying by your ankles as you're sent, sitting on, standing right. on your knees, you know, changing the tire at 120 miles an hour, 125 miles an hour, no helmets. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't care. I mean, we, that's that's how it was. That's what we did. We weren't we weren't really nervous about it. Uh, there were times where there was some close calls. Uh, in 1990, uh, we had Dean Hall. That was actually the first time we had made Indianapolis, and uh, he did a great job of qualifying and whatnot. And during the race, he came in for one of his last pit stops, and uh, he was a bit fatigued. You know, it's a long race, first time he did it, and his brakes were cold. He came into our pit box, locked him up hit the rear tire that was sitting out there waiting for him, bent a push rod and took us out. But that, that tire went uh, by me by inches. So it was, <laughs> yeah. it was hairy at times. And then we, then we moved to pit lane speed limits and everybody had to wear helmets and things became much safer. There was, there was a time there where everything was so competitive, you know, today things right. are competitive in a different way. Right. Back then things were so close because of different chassis, different engine manufacturers, everybody's, fighting for ounces of weight and, and RPM. And, uh, you know, the only place to pass was in the pit lane. So drivers were taking a lot of chances and, sure. you know, drivers, uh, crew members started to get hit and, and injured. So they had to, uh, uh, you know, if you hit a, a crew member back then you were done for the day. So they were, they started to get pretty serious about it. I think it was the accident at Long Beach between Michael Andretti and Emerson yep. Fittipaldi. Emerson went over the top of Michael. Oh, yeah. Long Beach is really narrow. Yep. Yep. lane. So after that is when they started to slow the cars down sure. in the pit lane. So the thing that always impressed me about Dale Coyne racing was uh, Dale Coyne drove his first IndyCar race back in, I guess, what was it, 84, right? Yep, 84. And the team didn't win a race until 2009 with Justin Wilson. I, I'm not good with math, but that's got to be what that what's that 20, 25 years, 20 years. It, it yeah. was a long time. <laughs> and, and and so the two things I'm are going through my mind because I've always been impressed with the smaller teams who just get sure. out there and make it happen is, first of all, the a lot of teams would have just quit. <laughs> a lot of teams did. And a lot of teams did. Yeah. A lot of teams wouldn't be able to get enough money to go racing. A lot of teams did. But somehow Dale Coyne kept finding ways to get the money, whatever it needed, to to still put cars on the racetrack. How how did he do that? That's 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 true, and that goes back to a little bit to what I was saying. He only spent what he had. Right. A lot of guys overspent themselves and, and got themselves in a lot of trouble. But he only spent what he had. We had, I didn't add him up, but I bet he's had a hundred drivers over the last. And he's going on forty-one years, I think, maybe forty-two years of of competing. But, 
he was also known as a development team for future drivers. I mean, or for drivers that would ultimately go on to do quite well, like Roberto Moreno and just a whole list of drivers that started out with Dale Coyne. And mechanics and engineers, you know, oh, and he, okay. he prides himself on that. And I do too. We, we, we went to Indianapolis with a lot of rookies over the years and we had right. a lot of rookies in the car series, but that was fine. You know, I was, I was okay to that. Uh, you know, there were times where it was frustrating and aggravating, but I look back on it now and I say, Hey, at least, you know, we gave that guy a chance. Right. That ne- maybe never would have uh, been somewhere else and had the opportunity to go. We gave, we gave Paul Tracy his first ride. Right. He did Long Beach in 1991. Uh, he, he, his father paid for the ride. You know, so it was a, uh, it, it was something we didn't have an opportunity to offer him, but we gave him his first ride. Roger Penske noticed him and off he went. And he had a great career with Penske and uh, Newman Haas racing for a season. You mentioned Roberto Moreno. Uh, we, he was uh, he was getting up there in age. We, we gave him an opportunity. He gave me my best finish of third at the U.S. 500 in 1996. And it was like we won the race. Oh, yeah. we were, the crew was so happy to, to be on the podium for the first time. And, uh, and it, it was those little things like that. Uh, one year we had uh, Eric Bachelard and Alessandro Zampedro. We finished seventh and eighth at Long Beach Yeah, uh, in the top, you know, both cars in the top yeah. 10. So we're, it's a lot of stuff like that that are little, you know, small victories that allow you to to persevere and, and keep going. So we, ne- we never gave up. I mean, anytime uh, I've got, uh, you know, one, one story I do have is in 92, we ran uh, – Brian Bonner and Eric Bachelard at the Speedway with Buick engines, and they were flawless. We ran all month long, all kinds of miles. Second qualifying weekend, we pushed Brian Bonner off it with 610 miles on that car, on that engine, which was unheard of. Yeah. So we had a great, reliable, fantastic year. Unfortunately, 92 was it was a cold day. All the Andretti's crashed. We crashed. It was a you know I think of the first lap was Stan Fox's horrible accident. Uh, so we, 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 you know, it was, a, it was a great year for us. So we go back in 93 with four Buick cars, three drivers, and we broke everything. We mm. crashed cars. We had fires. Uh, all our, our three drivers were in the Methodist hospital in the same room one time or another. It was just a horrible, horrible, horrible year. And we, uh, we didn't make the race. Uh, the, you know, those days we'd go to Indy at the end of April and do rookie orientation and then, you know, so you're there one week already. Next week's opening weekend. Then you got a week of practice. Then you got first qualifying, second qualifying. So we were there seven weeks. We'd stay after Indy and get ready for Milwaukee. So we spent a lot of time and devoted a lot of time to Indy. And when we didn't make it in 93, I just, it was, just, it, when we were done, the gun went off Sunday night. Everybody was just spent and exhausted. I sat on the pit wall and cried my eyes out for all the, you know, it, it's, it's just so, yeah. Indy is so emotional. And, uh, it, it was just crazy, but we, we gathered ourselves up. We've got new cars. Uh, we showed up with a new hospitality bus and, and trailer at the next race at Milwaukee. So again, uh, anytime we were down, everybody just pulled themselves together and uh, we got, you know, we generally always better the next time around. So when you, when you went to the, the uh, Indy 500, I think it was 94, 93, 94. Um, when, you know, you have that, when you go to the track, you, I'm going to win that. We're going to win this. And uh, we have everything to do this, you know, to get the big trophy and we're there. And then Penske shows up with that Mercedes Elmore. I mean, did that, what did that feel like? Uh, I think the PC 23 or something like that. Yeah. They, 
the first year we went there, uh, we, we, we tried Dale Coyne in the stock block. We had an uh, 86 March with a Chevy in it. We didn't make it because we had, you know, the mechanical problems. Uh, we went there in 89 with a car trying to sell the ride, and that never happened. So 1990 was the very first time we made it. And uh, that was with Dean Hall. He was a downhill ski racer. He won the Atlantics the year before. And uh, Kazumuchi Go uh, from Japan, he runs an runs endurance team there. He also uh, brought in, uh, uh, excuse me one second. I forget. He was with him two years ago. Alex Palo oh, mm-hmm. okay. with Kazumuchi Go brought him the coin. So there's a long relationship there between Dale and Kaz. And then, uh, uh, you know, he, he ends up doing very well for coin. And he wins the championship last year. But uh, regressing back to 1990, uh, Dean Hall, that was the very first time ever we had a brand new car. We had a 90 Lola. Oh, wow. And in 1990, they changed the aerodynamic rules. You had to run a smaller tunnel. So everybody had their 89. A lot of guys had their 89 car with tunnel inserts that would, uh, you know, meet the rules. And everybody was was crashing. A lot of Rutherford, John Cock, all the veterans were crashing uh, pretty hard. And and Dean was in our 89 and doing well. He would do 212, 214, more than enough to make the race. And uh, that very first week, we prepped our 90 Lola because we were going to use it the second weekend. We passed up qualifying on the first round. So we prepped the 90 Lola the first week, ran the wheels off to 89. And cleverly, what Dale had done is he, uh, in in order to make up for the reduced downforce, he simply softened the rear springs. Mm. And that's what made that the car so fast. And it was kind of funny because, you know, we had struggled for so much time, but we had guys at, at our garage door wanting set-up sheets, wanting to know what you're doing. Yeah. When, when you went to the bar at night, you had to be careful what you say to people. Yeah. I mean, because there was 45 cars there. Yeah. And if you gave somebody some advice, it, it's really easy for them to knock you out. So you had to be how, protective of what How many did. guys set up like easy chairs, you know, little lawn chairs out in front of your garage? <laughs> <laughs> Just... Well, they, they drive by often in their golf carts and peer oh, in yeah. Yeah. really, really slowly. Really slow. Yeah. They're like, is your battery not charged on yeah. that golf cart? Because it's not going so fast. Not going so, so how, fast. How, so how much effect did that Elmore have on the Penske car have on pit lane? They, uh, well, that's, uh, it's amazing they kept that car such a secret. I mean, they ran thousands and thousands and thousands of miles at Nazareth and Michigan without anybody ever knowing it. And there was a loophole in the rules yeah. where, uh, you, you know, they, they, you could run a lot of boost with a pushrod engine. Well, the pushrods are like an inch long or two inches long. So they were, it was pretty minimal. He took advantage of the rules. I give him all the credit in the world for that. And that was fast car. I mean, they'd park it in the corners, yeah. but it was fast down the straights. And they won yeah. the Indy 500. And, uh, and, and to show how things can change, the, the car was really horrible. The chassis was really, really bad. But the engine masked what Hedsky was doing. So the next year... In 95, Penske shows up. He doesn't make the race because oh. the car is so ill-handled. I remember that year. Mile after yeah. mile. I remember seeing uh, Paul Tracy and Al Jr. and Emerson. I think it was those three sitting on the pit wall at the end looking just dumbstruck because they weren't in the Indy 500. Yeah. It, and nobody would have thought they'd ever been in that bad position. But the, the engine was so dominant the previous year, it just disguised the how horrible the, the car was. Yeah, and we, yeah. And uh, getting back to one of the special things about Indy on bump day, when, you know, you're walking down the pit lane, you know, if you're lucky to be in already, you're kind of relaxed and you're looking forward to the race, but uh, you, you, you know, you see these drivers climbing in their cars and their eyes are glassed over and they're moving really slow. And 
and, and, and teams are getting desperate or taking wing out of the car and raising the car up. And if you're not fast on bump day or previous to that, there's no, it's virtually no way to, right. to really make up that ground and get in. So the guys are, are really taking chances. Uh, a lot of people got hurt qualifying. A lot of people uh, got hurt in practice on, on bump day, trying to make the field. So that, that was just one of the things that made uh, Indianapolis what it was. There, there was 33 spots, but there was 45, 48 cars there every year. And I, there was, there was one year we didn't make it the year we tore everything up, but of the six seasons that we went there, uh, we always made the race and did, it did reasonably well with uh, the drivers and the equipment that we had. And then the split happened and yep. uh, everything kind of went south from that area for us. Right. But then it all it came back special. again, but I'm it sorry, all came back again. And a couple of years ago, you were able to attend Indianapolis yourself but as a driver and, and a mechanic, right. With uh, blue shells at yeah, that was, the champ car. When that was announced, uh, you know, we, there's no way we're going to miss it. And uh, Dennis Neal, who is now a famous reality TV star was uh, our, uh, the guy that would you know take care of all the registration yeah. and all that. He was up at midnight, got both cars registered. So we were in and going, we planned for Indy from the, I think October 1st. Well, let's go back to that real quick. Let's go back to that. So, to let you know what was happening. So myself, Mike Chizik, uh, Paul Veltham, and I, I, there may have been a couple other staff, but we were actually watching the registration system. Hmm. That race sold out. We had 98. We, we capped it at 100 cars. We had 98 teams signed up in 14 minutes. There was a hiccup in the system, <laughs> which Uh-oh. kept it which kept it and it was ended up, I think 19 minutes or something like that. I think the server kind of said, Hey, wait a second. I, you know, hold off. And uh, <laughs> so it ended up being officially 100 cars in 19 minutes, but it was insane watching the, the amount of registration. It's not easy registering for champ car. You actually have to have, um, you know, all your drivers pre-built in the system. You have to, uh, uh, then the team captain has to go through and, you know, set it all up and then hit send and then pay the money and then finish off that stuff. So watching you guys do this, and I'm pretty certain everybody was had a plan to the, to the second, you know, it's like, okay, at midnight, boom. And of course we had all the folks out on the West thinking it was midnight West coast. So they, (laughs) (laughs) it's like really people. So what you're telling me is it was easier for me to get tickets to see Paul McCartney at the Dodger stadium than it was to get into IndyCar's champ car. Yes. Wow. It it was, it was pretty, pretty badass. I mean, it was, um, we had a lot of teams that were kind of new with champ car. You know, they had to have, we, we required some experience and we weren't letting just newbies come in. You know, they had to have some experience and uh, there were some teams that we you know, questioned about, but they ended up doing pretty well. But I think the, the main problem that, that event, cause you were there. Um, we just had so many arrive and drive teams that uh, saw a way to make some cash. Sure. And brought in <laughs> drivers that were more to the sprint race type you know, fight every corner. Right. And uh, that corner just happened to have a car sitting in it. And uh, yeah, we, we saw a bunch of that stuff going on, but Bernie, yeah, unfortunate, you, but yeah, we, uh, I looked forward to it ever since we registered for it. Yep. Our whole next season was based around Indianapolis. I called every driver uh, that we've had, you know, bachelor and, uh, and uh, Zampedre and uh, just every, every uh, Michelle Jordan. Yep. 
uh, every everybody I knew come to Indianapolis and drive with us there. So I, and Johnny Unser drove for us uh, back in the early '90s. He had uh, Ruger as a sponsor, Ruger Guns and Callaway Clubs. Uh, yep. So I called Johnny and because I, I knew Lonnie had been there before, and Johnny said, "Hell yeah." Let's yeah. do this. So Lonnie came on board with us. We had our two cars. We had our black car and our silver car there. We had 10 drivers between uh, the two cars. And uh, we got coins garages. I called up uh, oh, sweet. Terry Brown, the manager for uh, team manager for Dale Coin at the time. And I said, hey, what garages are you in? So we used her garages. They allowed us to use their uh, pit si- or uh, garage signs. Mm-hmm. So we peeled their vinyl off their garage signs, put the blue shells up above our garage doors. And we were... We wanted to take advantage of, you know, all the the yeah, what indie meant. Sure. To my, myself well, there was anyway. a there was a lot of us that didn't realize that you know that's a big deal is putting those signs up above your garage that you could do that. We didn't know it, and you know because I want to say that the majority of staff had never ever been to indie, with the exception of the visit that we had to do in the big meeting room with the big bosses that run the place, and uh, you know I kept pinching Chizik, you know, it's like, dude, are we really here? <laughs> you know, this is, this is like insane. Yeah. The first, and, the uh, first year we went to in the 89, I, uh, I didn't go out to the pit lane until the car was ready to go. I stayed in the garage and, and uh, went with, stayed with the car worked on all that. So I, when I went out to uh, under gasoline alley for the first time, it was sitting in the cockpit of a car being pulled by a golf cart. And it was just all struck by the place. Yeah, the grandstands, yeah. you know, back then there'd be, there'd be a legitimate 450, 500,000 people there on race day. Hundred thousand on uh, on uh, uh, carb day, yeah, or bump day. Bump day. The place was just amazing. I mean, uh, uh, you know, even just being a mechanic and a team manager, the place meant so much to us because of the time we spent there, because of the history, right. because of all the uh, the hard work and and uh, dedication that drivers and 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 mechanics and team owners put in through the years. The history alone is enough to. Uh, to give you goosebumps. So it was really special for me to go out and do the stints I did at Indy was just, uh, just really, really incredible. I didn't, uh, I, I didn't want to get out of the car, but <laughs> you guys limited me to two hours, but it was so much fun. I, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. The next, uh, we did uh, our black car, I think one in its class yep. on Saturday. And we had, a, I had a couple of mechanical issues I missed on Sunday. So we, we spent some time in the garage on Saturday. I'm sorry. The Sunday morning, uh, we had Dennis in the car, Dennis Neal, who is now a reality TV star. What's he do? He's with uh, R3R Racing. With uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. They the, do the uh, WRL thing. Yeah, yeah WRL. Right. Yeah. yeah, Dennis yeah. drove for us and still will. Lonnie Unser is there, obviously, yep. and she drove for us. But uh, he was in the car Sunday morning. We got going back onto the infield. I think it was turn 13. We were in the IndyCar turn two, and you, you know, between one and two, and you come back into yep. the infield. He just got blasted on the right hand side. And uh, gave the rocker in the door, yep. and we, we were able to finish the day. Yeah, we put we replaced some suspension parts and went back out and, and finished. But that uh, my point is, uh, you you guys are aren't allowing cars to run at the Ozarks unless you practice Friday. Yeah, I, I believe the car that hit us didn't run on Saturday, uh. so he was there for the first time Sunday. And as you know, braking on the on the oval yeah. was really really difficult. It's they grind the track to make it smooth. Yep. And it really caught everybody out uh, for for braking coming you know, into turn one and into turn thirteen. So uh, whoever decided on this Ozark 
deal. Uh, they, they did the right thing. because Well, the track actually suggested it. And then as we're driving around the track, um, it was like, holy crap. I, it, it reminds me of Calaboogie up in Canada where every corner kind of looks the same because of the tree. It's in the middle of a forest and it's, there's really not many uh, landmarks that you can actually look for. You know, they all look at every corner, almost look the same. And it's like, man, I'm going to get lost here. And it was, it, it took, uh, I, w- I don't know, maybe two or three stints for me to get used to uh Calibogie where I could actually go and, and actually do some quick laps. Well, still strong, quick laps, but the, uh, <laughs> the, you know, the, the, and in, Dana thought the same thing in, in Chelsea is, is that we really need to get these guys out here practicing and that Friday practices will be mandatory that you have to get your car out there or you're going to, you're going to get hurt. I mean, not hurt, but you're going to be caught out. Yeah. Like at big any disadvantage. Place. Yeah. Yeah. Big di- disadvantage. So give everybody yeah, a chance a, to, to learn the track. That's a good idea. And, and uh, NCM to me, what w- took a while to learn, you know, there's 23 corners there and, and yeah. that, that took a little bit. And Ozark looks like it's going to be that much more. Once I realized somebody had told me that NCM, he goes, look at the, look at the back part of the track. It's like a mirror image of the other side of the track. You just, you attack it the same, kind of the same way. It, it's not, but it mm. kind of looked like it. Once I looked at it like that, I was like, oh, okay, I, I get this. So, you know, it's, but yeah. Yeah. So Bernie, after all those years in, in the first iteration of Champ Car, and now in the current iteration of Champ Car, you know, tell us what your, what, what brings, well, I know what brought you to Champ Car the first time you wanted to go race at Indy. What, what, what keeps you around? What, what, what do you enjoy about racing with, with Champ Car? Uh, several things. I mean, uh, I, I enjoy building the car. I mean, the first, the first time I got introduced to endurance racing, like everybody else, I went to a lemons race. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine, John Welch, uh, who was a uh, data engineer on the race team for for a long time, he 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 was with the Blue oh. Shell since about 2010. Well, wait a second, John is also a epic Toyota MR2 guy. He That's is. Right. You he should is know consi- that. Oh yeah, he is considered one of the uh, the original uh, top shelf guys. I want to say God, but you know, he's a top <laughs> shelf guy in the MR2 world. So, okay, back to your story. Yeah, John. John's a smart guy. I mean, if you got a guy that's good with the computer and software and a keyboard and hardware and all that, John will beat him. I mean, he's he's, he's pretty quiet about his daytime yeah. jobs, but he does some pretty miraculous things with a computer. He's really, really smart. But uh, he uh, they were racing at the Autobahn, Lemon was. So I went there uh, on a Friday test day with John and the, the Blue Shells and standing up in that pagoda that's looking yeah. over pit lane. And I'm watching these guys and I'm thinking, oh, my God, where has this been my whole life? I should have started this 10 years ago. So I, uh, I'm i a Ford guy, so I had to build a Ford. And Mustang, obviously, was the first first uh, decision. But I didn't want a rear-wheel drive car. You know, it's endurance racing. You can't make mistakes. You can't go off. It's got to be reasonably easy to drive, reliable. Uh, so we built a Focus. And I, I didn't know there was a even, even that an SVT Focus existed. So I was well, never f- into front wheel drive cars and yeah. any of that. So that's the platform that we picked and uh, we built a car that for that next season uh, we went, the first race we did was a lemons race. And uh, first and all, I think I should say we did two lemons races first and last <laughs> the, uh, the themes and that, and all the penalties and all that, that you know, I was, wasn't really into that. Uh, so we did champ car after that. 
and uh, been doing that ever since. And the, the very first race we went to with Champ Car again was the Autobahn. And mm -hmm. uh, everybody was telling me, your first race, you're going to have a water leak. You're going to have an oil leak. Something's going to fall off. It's going to be unreliable. Well, we ran, that was the year that we ran the South course. Right. And then the full course that evening, which was a lot of fun. That was a blast to have a, a track configuration change done. But we ran all day long and finished, uh, uh, we won our class and finished second overall, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And then a few weeks after that, we're at Elkhart Lake running on Sunday in the rain yeah. with all these, you know, 60 cars, 70 cars, everybody, uh, all these big horsepower, rear wheel drive car. We ran second until like 16 minutes to go. We had an electrical problem. We ended up uh, third, I think. We got dropped drop back a little bit. We won our class again and finished third overall. So here we are with this little you know, front-wheel drive car, but I think my IndyCar experience helped with caster and camber and reduction of weight and, and all that. So to me, A, I get to drive in all the iconic tracks that I raced at. Uh, uh, my first lap at Elkhart, uh, yeah, I, I was almost in tears. I mean, we, we went for 20 something years racing in yeah. IndyCar and I'm always fixing crash cars and fixing gearboxes and driver mistakes for we're, we're correcting. Uh, uh, James Hinscliff, uh, he had a bad accident at Indy where he had a wishbone go through his leg. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. He had a lot of recovery to do. His first race was Elkhart Lake. And over the radio, his first laps, he told the crew, I'm not coming in. Because <laughs> he enjoyed it so much. That's the first thing I did. The first yeah. lap I went by the pit lane, I screamed at the guys that I'm not coming in. So it was just, you know, I remember that. an iconic track. Yeah. But to be able to go there and drive it uh, was amazing. Uh, Watkins Glen. Yeah. I mean, uh, Elkhart was my favorite track and it still is, is right up there. But Watkins Glen, oh. uh, it was just so much fun to run there. And NCM and we haven't done Seam Ring yet in Daytona. I want to get to Laguna some year. So it, it, it to, you know, a, you get to drive all these great places that I've never dreamt I could have been at. And that's a builder's series mm -hmm. where you can take a car that you decide you want to run, lighten it up, uh, you know, be creative with, you know, within the rules, do some things that, uh, you know, you get, just get the car right. I mean, you make it reliable. That's, that's number one. You make it to where all your drivers can drive it without going off and get the black flag. So, uh, those are the two things to me. I enjoy, uh, you know, to the, that's what I do now is, is fab cars to build hot rods and build indie, uh, not indie cars, but I actually, I did a couple of fab jobs for coin a couple of years ago. We can get to that maybe in a little bit, but uh, it, it just sparked racing to me again. Uh, that that's why I said, why, you know, where's this been my whole life? The, the strategy on uh, yeah. during the race pit stops, when you come in, it, it's all, it all went back to me, you know, brought back indie car memories because it's the decimal points in a different place or the comma is in a different place, but the enjoyment of it is, is still the same. So that, that time when you were at uh, Elkhart Lake and, and you had radioed into the pit, it was funny because I was talking to this guy in your pit lane. So how's he doing out there? And he said, he doesn't want to come in. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, that's funny. And he, uh, uh, I said, well, what's your name? And you know, and, and he said, John Welsh. And I'm just like, wait, Welsh. <laughs> are you are you squelch and he goes yeah <laughs> yes bill strong and i'm like holy cow because you know we had john mr2 guy for years as, as squelch on our forum and uh it's it was like uh wow i'm standing here in front of a legend and didn't realize it interviewing him for uh for your race and but the funny part was he does not want to come in and that just had me cracking up <laughs> 
Yeah, I think after, well, we, we had an electrical, we ended up blowing a main fuse. We didn't know at the time, but we, right. we came in and uh, you had commented on it, how our crew wasn't panicking and throwing mm-hmm. things and scrambling. You know, we all, they just took away my story. Store. They took away my story. <laughs> Sorry. But we, you know, we, we, we had to, we had to fix it. We had to yeah. troubleshoot it. We had to fix it. I ended up jumping the power lead with an alligator yep. clip and we went out and finished the race. Unfortunately, we lost a couple of positions, but you know, everybody worked hard together for the yeah. few minutes it took to do it. And we uh, got the problem solved and, and, and back away. But we, from all the racing and miles we've done and troubles we've had, we've, you know, we all work together. I mean, I've known John so long and even the guys we had gelled so quickly together and they always have since with drivers coming and going that, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we kept everything under control and got it fixed. So with your, with your vast experience in racing at, at all levels, um, what do you see as the biggest issue with champ car right now, other than bill strong? <laughs> uh, well, first off, I think bill strong is just fine. I mean, you guys do a great job with champ car live. You know, you, you, you got, it's got, honestly, you have to give yourself some more credit. Uh, you know, it, it's fun every now and then when they, you know, they pick on Bill Strong and that, but man, you guys just do a, a, a great job of coverage. I've listened to some other endurance series coverage and it's, it's just got awful. You I mean, you can't really listen to it, but you guys do a great job with pit lane and interviews and whatnot. Uh, uh, getting back to your question, uh, you know, I've, I've tried to run for the board a couple of times and have miserably failed, uh, but I, I want to run and I'll probably try again because I enjoy champ car so much. I want to contribute to try and keep things on a steady path and, and keep them corrected. And uh, I think I, w- our first races in 18, we, we traveled to races on an open trailer. All our tools were in the back of a pickup truck. And here we were in the, on the podium. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of that's went away. I mean, right now there's, you know, there's every year there seems to be uh, parts that are free. Uh, things change. Uh, you know, the, the fuel tank rule this year, as an example, now the uh, you have to have two gallons over stock, including the inlets. Well, you're allowed. You don't have to have it. Right, exactly. You're allowed. You're allowed. We want to stress that because somebody sure. on the board will come back and say, "Well, Bill Strong said I had to have two gallons." But there was a rule in place that you know you had to go from point A to point B and not make a loop around the trunk area or the car. They, right. The rule should have been enforced instead of uh, you know having to write a new rule. So there's some little things that uh, are wrong, so to speak, with Champ Car. But there's so many things that are right. I mean, all the tracks that you go to, Champ Car Live, uh, the rule book is reasonably easy to to understand. You know, there's some things that, you know, change is always hard. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think for the most, if I didn't enjoy what we I was doing, you know, I, I'd, I'd stay home and uh, work on my hot rod. But uh, well, what is your what is your most favorite part other than the driving and not wanting to come in? What is your most favorite part of, of building a car for Champ Car or working on a Champ Car team? Well, I enjoy fab work to start with, uh, you know, making roll cages, making uh, doodads, making aluminum panels, dash pads, panels, uh, seat mounts, you know, anything that has to do with fabricate, mounting fuel cells, all the safety equipment. Uh, I, I enjoy building cars. You know, I've, mm-hmm. uh, as a crew chief, as a team manager, I always worked on the cars. I built countless oil tanks and did all kinds of aluminum welding and, uh, you know, making things for the cars, you know, brackets to hold things in place. Uh, pit equipment. Uh, you saw always done fab work. I've always been uh, my whole life. I always done a lot of welding and repair and, and whatnot. So building cars is part of the fun of, of, of champ car. Again, there's no minimum weights. So you, you, you spend a month oh, yeah. drilling out little tiny tabs, cutting out door panels, uh, 
every you know every little ounce you could take it's free horsepower yeah you, know, you, you have better acceleration better braking uh, a lot of my experience uh, with safety wire and loctite just simple things that you know make a car keep going uh, uh, you know welds the exhaust on properly uh, safety wise I put, I put a foot box a padded foot box is in the front of the uh, the focus nobody puts a foot box in a, a shot AMD car's got them NASCAR has yeah. them so everybody's got them but it, it's a safety thing I thought was well worth having when Dennis got clobbered at Indy on Sunday he went to work the next day you know he felt his legs yep. hitting the, the padding on the inside of the foot box so I you know I felt good that uh, you know, we, we you know we were in a crash which was bad but hey I kept the driver safe and uh, you know and with IndyCar safety's always been a huge huge aspect right. of what the uh, IndyCar always did if there was a particular crash that brought up a, a a problem with the chassis or the car or or the track IndyCar was very fast cart was very fast to make some improvements so I, sure. I learned from that also and a lot of the things we did in the cockpit you know I do in the cockpit of our our focus of our champ car so right. again uh Champ cars brought back a ton of IndyCar experience and memories and, and from what we'd done from there. And it all, it, it, it's helped us with some success. One, uh, we, I think it was 2018. Uh, we had a, a few, a lot of mechanical issues because I just didn't know enough about a front wheel drive car. We had engine mounts that were moving and it was damaging headers and exhaust, mm-hmm. but you know, we got it figured out. And uh, one thing I'm proud of is every time we've taken the car out, it's gotten better. Braking's gotten better, cornering's gotten better, acceleration's gotten better. Uh, so, and that's the fun part to me. So, all you know is uh, is developing a car, just like we did back in the in the IndyCar days. What is your what is the number one thing you see down pit lane in a champ car race that that you see people doing wrong? Uh you might not want to share that. Well, there's. <laughs> <laughs> more people, more more of them have them now. A lot of guys didn't have radios early on. Uh, you know, that's a simple thing. Get brake pads that's going to last the whole race. You know, don't, don't change brake pads or wheel bearings. You know, do your do your your your, your homework. Wait, wait, home. wait, wait. The wheel bearing thing might not be up to the up to the guys. It may be just a weakness within that chassis. Well, I know that, that for that's a fact. True. That's true, Bill. But <laughs> yeah, there was a couple seasons here where um, me and Ron Snow, who helped me uh, finance the Focus. We ran the uh, stock car races here at uh, Grundy County Speedway. We did. Right. I, I was the chief steward for midget racing before that with uh, the short track auto racing series. And then I did a season of uh, Friday nights with the stock cars. And I'd go down to the pit lane and guys are unloading their cars and working on them, doing the maintenance they should have done during the yeah. week. Yeah. So that, yeah. I think there's a, there was a, not so much now uh, the, with Lemons race we did and the few early champ car races. Uh, you got to do your maintenance at home. I mean, it just makes the weekend so much more fun. A bearing will fail. Yeah. But if you don't replace it and don't regrease it, you know, the chances of having a failure is, is going to be escalated quite a bit. So you got to do your homework at, at the well, shop. That, was, at the that was one of the things that we were, that we were never told that parts life out that you just, mm-hmm. you know, you have to replace them every so many hours. And so that thing had, you know, it, that part has 25 hours worth of life in it. Um, you should replace it at 18 because it could be plus or minus. I didn't know anything about that stuff until, you know, I think Troy had, you know, Troy Trulio from biohazard. He had actually talked to me about that a few times and I didn't know race teams did that. It's just nothing I, I knew. You just we run, had extensive you run it records. until it stops. Yeah. We had, we had extensive records at, with the IndyCar of keeping yep. track of mileage, every practice session, every race, every time, every qualifying session engines. Uh, we, we change them every 400 miles. 
that's what the life expense expectancy was on a on the Cosworth uh, Ford Cosworth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cosworth would actually quote unquote guarantee the engine for us for 400 miles. If something catastrophic happened, they would replace it. Oh. Unless we ran it out of water, ran it out of oil, right. you know, if it was a failure, they would cover the costs. If if you're getting over 400 miles, you had to sign a paper saying that you're responsible for it. Turbos would go like 2,500 miles, fuel pumps like 1,200 miles. Our $10,000 thin wall Inconel exhaust system, uh, which cost $10,000, would last 3,500 right. miles. Uh, bearings, every, everything you had to have mileage of, and you had to have the stuff on the shelf, uh, half shafts, U-joints, everything had a, a certain miles to it. And a, a lot of that made it difficult for us. We'd, uh, you know, you, we, a, a turbo, you can go 1,200 miles, so to speak, mm-hmm. or, or, or 2,200 miles. Well, there'd be 200 miles left on it. We'd leave it in the car to run Friday Friday practice just so we can get the mileage out of it and use it. Right. And we'd end up changing the turbo on Friday night or a fuel pump on Saturday night along with the engine, which left to a lot of extra work. Uh, that we had to do on race weekends. Things are today in the Indy cars a little different. You know, it's it's a big spec series now. Engines go 2,400 miles or so. The cars are big tanks. You know, you, we, we, our our suspension was 40,000 thick uh, uh, aircraft streamlined tubing. Now it, they're big beefy machines that can go wheel to wheel and bang each right. other and keep going. So the, things are a little different now, but that's how we learned how to mileage parts out. And every race, the car gets brake pads, needed or not. Keep them for a practice session if you want. All the wheel bearings, change the oil, look at the gearbox. You know, just have a quick look at everything. It doesn't take long. And uh, there, it, it, there's nothing like having your weekend ruined right. by something you could have done back at the shop. Well, that was, I think, in the early days of Champ Car, Chump Car, um, even parts of I've I've done about 17 Lemons races along with, I don't know, 70, 65, 70 Champ Car races. Um, but back in the early days, you know, like you said, a lot of guys – trailered their cars out there on an open trailer or whatever and they basically took a car straight off a junkyard or some craigslist sale or whatever threw a roll cage in it put some oil in it and went racing and either made it or didn't and um if the car failed two months later you'd see them there they with a subaru doing the same thing (laughs) and then five months later they'd show up to the next race with an oldsmobile I mean, it was just people were moving around. Then, you, you know, when I came up with our MR2, that one of the first races we went to that we, you know, the I was told the car didn't look like a chump car because we had applied, you know, basically house paint over it to make it look yellow. And that we had replaced, I had mentioned about replacing all the bushings and all the, the bearings and everything was all brand new in there. And people just, some people looked at me like, this is not chump car. This is not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to run what you brung. And now you show up to the races and and guys are doing what you're you, what you're saying is every bit of that car has been gone through before the race they've replaced everything um time and out parts which some people said that just brings up the cost of racing but to me it was like we got to race right a full race because we did change out those parts it is part of that born out of that there's a, a lot of arrive and drive type situations and people who yeah. are paying to come to race are expecting a car to go the distance and if you don't come more prepared to the track these people who are giving you probably hundreds of dollars if not thousands of dollars thousands, to come yeah. racing are gonna want their money back yeah i mean that's what we had i mean I, there right. was a couple of races where we had some issues and 
And Troy's telling me, dude, these guys are talking bad. You know, you're just not bringing a prepared car. And it's right. Like, oh, more money. But, you know, you guys, you guys do quite well. You prepare it. There's a lot of other teams out there that do the same thing. Um, but that kind of preparation has made the fields much faster because guys are sticking with chassis. They're developing them. They're developing their engines, you know, getting them to last these miles and uh, spending money. How do you stop that? Um, or can you? You can't stop it. You could slow it down a little bit, maybe, but you can't. You can't stop it. It's it's tough to come up with rules that look into the future. You know, because you don't know how things <laughs> yeah. are going to going to uh, you know progress. It's hard to predict what's going to happen down the road. But uh, you're you're not going to stop it. I mean, we, we I did some arrow work on our black car that they ran at the Autobahn last year, and they picked up like three seconds. And that's what I'm doing to our car now. So as as the car progresses, and you, you know, people get a little more. Uh, savvy and uh, do their homework and add to the, you know, according to what the rules are, add to the car to uh, make it better. That's always going to be there. So it's, it's tough to, to stop what the cost, you know, people are always going to spend it. I mean, uh, if you got a thousand dollars, you're going to spend it on something. It doesn't matter if it's brake pads or a data acquisition system or arrow. Uh, So, but that's, you know, so far, if champ car wasn't as economical as it was, we couldn't afford to do it. Now you, yeah, there's no doubt in that. I mean, uh, to, to, again, getting back to why we do it to run the courses we do and, and, uh, and be able to build the car on that. If it wasn't as affordable as it is with it, it I bought our car for a thousand dollars, our focus. I sold $500 worth of parts out of it. And granted I'd built everything myself. I spent $6,500 on safety equipment yep. and a roll cage and did all the work myself you could spend that much money on a go go kart yeah go kart could cost absolutely ten thousand dollars absolutely we ran, we ran six thousand race miles before we ever got before we had our first big accident six thousand race miles so is there bumping and banging a little bit of that we had we, I, I i don't like bent up cars so we had a crumpled up fender that i replaced and a, a, a bumper cover <laughs> You didn't and bang I, it out like I did all mine. Mine was so thin from banging out. There was, you know, you just looked at it, it would bend. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, so I, you know, I enjoy a nice looking car, and uh, uh, you know, again, we went six thousand miles without ever having an incident. That's crazy. Yeah, to be able yeah. to to go that far without having any major damage. You know, we could have went out and had a big wreck at a hundred miles, but you know, the, the, our luck was on our side. The guys did a good job of staying out of trouble and. Uh, it, you know, if, if, if we tore a car up every year, that'd be a different story. But for the most part, I think there's a lot of clean driving out there. There's a lot of arrive and drive guys that shouldn't uh, should have a little more experience than, than they do. But uh, for the most part, Champ Car is pretty, it's very safe and uh, it's, it's reasonably economical for the amount of time that we have in a car. So where's the future of Blue Shells right now? Where are you guys headed? Uh there's some there's some updates I'm doing. I think I don't know. I think uh, what we didn't do any races in 2020. I didn't in the silver car. The guys with the black car went to the autobahn, and I think right. they did uh, Barber yep. maybe. Uh, so I'm just repairing the car now from our Indy crash. I, I I took all the I think I posted on one of the forum yep. pages under technical. I drilled out all the spot welds in the quarter panel and took the quarter panel off and hammered and dollied the uh, all the dents out of it. I remade the inner rocker and. Uh, you know, so I'm doing all that to the car. I bought a wing from Nine Lives or a Wang, got a Wang. So you're a Wang. Wang <laughs> I put that on. I made some Swan mount, wing yeah. mounts for that, and put that on the car. We'll put a front splitter on it. Uh, 
after the uh, Indianapolis deal, we I bought the car. It had 184,000 miles on the engine. And then we put 6,000 race miles on top of that. So I felt the time to freshen up the uh, engine, which John Welch uh, took care of. That end up for me is a big old. Ah, so now I'm going to have to check guy. the heck out of that engine. Now I have the tools. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, you know, do our regular maintenance and uh, do some aero work. And then we're going to get back out there this year and, and run again. The black guys with the black focus, uh, they had, uh, uh, that's an SVT also. And they had some horrible, horrible mechanical problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, they blew up every time they went out, they lost an engine. For one reason or another, fuel problems, so, uh, oiling problems, or whatever. Do you, do you think they're just pushing this hardware? You know, once you get to a point, sorry, when you first start this type of racing, you tend to start off easy and conserving stuff, and then you start getting those little trophies. And it's like now we have to push a little harder. Do you see yourself and even other teams doing the same thing to, to the point of you're going beyond the the design limitations of the cars? I don't think we've done that. I think, uh, you know, we understand, you know, the engine revs at 7,200 redline. We'd sit, shift at 68. So that's it, not, you know, I think that's beating on it. You know, it's uh, yeah. 6,800 RPM every every shift. You're hitting curbs. You want to, you know, the guys should need to stay off the curbs. But every now and then you'll put a wheel off or hit. Curbing is not part of the racing surface, Phil. So, and yeah, uh, they kept telling me that at VAR, but it was the fastest line. <laughs> <laughs> so it, uh, uh yeah, I don't. I think we've always pushed the car hard, and uh, you always had to. But you know, I think the SVT engine, yeah, uh, it's two liters, it's four valve. Uh, Cosworth did, made the cylinder head. Cosworth did a extruded stainless steel header for it. Uh, six speed gear tag transmission, big brakes, nice uh, struts, big spring. It's a great platform to start with. So it's I, I, our first race. I put a trans, a trans, a polyurethane trans mount on it. Claimed ten points. Yeah. So we went like we had like a 385 point car. Since then, I, I put heim joints in the rear to get camber, uh, polyurethane engine mounts, uh, and that's it. Do you, you get know, any so help from Do you get any help from Ford or Cosworth with direction, or maybe you might want to look in this area because it's a, we found it a weakness in the European touring car or whatever when they or rally when they race the Focus over there. I, I still keep in touch with a lot of the uh, Cosworth guys. You know, they all branched off into other things now, right. uh, but. Uh, the, the the car the road car program was a little bit different than the race program so it wasn't always necessarily the same the same people involved uh the, the uh, kind of off track here a little bit but the cosworth the factory uh, we visited while we were racing in england is just absolutely amazing they do everything in house everything yep. their own crankshafts their own casting department their own electronics wiring harnesses they make their own little carbon panels to hold boxes and things uh if a crankshaft breaks at an indycar race they stop the production and make a radius different in the crankshaft yeah. room i mean it's so, amazing how fast they can they can react to things so uh, there's a really good video on youtube where they're in this i think it was like the early 80s when cosworth was moving over to the turbocharged v8s or turbocharged engines and they were having some serious issues but the whole the whole documentary was how they went through the the development mm. of this engine which is really good cool yeah back back at re- referring back to the indycars big and sorry the uh, co- uh there was so much competition between toyota and chevrolet and ilmore and, and and cosworth that everybody had to have an advantage mm. uh in the mid 90s the car, the engine weighed 285 pounds made 950 horsepower 
they had uh, you couldn't have an intercooler, but they injected injected methanol into the inlet of the turbo with four injectors. We'd run a big turbo at Michigan and Indy and Pocono, the big tracks, because it made more horsepower. And then we had to run a smaller turbo on the road courses to spool up the uh, turbo right. To, to, right away. So they put a turning vane on the inlet of the turbo, much like a, a camera shutter. The mm-hmm. veins would open and close, and it would just simply change the direction and swirl the air into the turbo. So we were able to run a big turbo everywhere. So it's like a VNT, have... like a variable nozzle, right? Yeah. Garrett yeah, did exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, okay. And yeah. it would speed up the air going in the turbo, so we could run a big turbo, take advantage of the horsepower, and still run it on the street courses and in short ovals. So they were always developing, uh, uh, you know, electronics uh, when when full throttle shifting came about. That was a, a big advantage. Yeah. Every time you shifted a car with an H pattern gearbox, it would take you a hundred feet to get back to where you were. But now with the sequential gearbox, it was like forty because you wouldn't lose the RPM, you wouldn't oh, wow. lose the turbo boost. Uh, uh, it, it was just, just the technical aspect of all that stuff back at that time was just really incredible, amazing to be. You couldn't you couldn't run an automatic gearbox, but they had some software where a driver in a straight line could pull on the shift lever, and then the gearbox would shift when it hurt, hit a certain RPM. Uh-huh. Uh, huh. So you could hit your revs, you know, twelve two, twelve four. Uh, right exactly at when it, it hit that RPM limit. We were running upwards of almost 14,000 RPM. Toyota was rumored to have in 16,000. Yeah. So things were just really, really crazy. Yeah. Uh, both in the chassis end and engine end. And all of that, you know, when I was building our focus, all, a lot of that in the back of your mind comes into play. <laughs> right. Because, you know, I, I took everything apart on that car yeah. when we first built it and went through everything and changed things to make it reliable. Uh, you know, urethane bushings where they needed to be, uh, lubricants. Uh, we, 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 Joe, it was Joe Gibbs oil. Now it's right. called driven. That's the only thing that we use in the car. We use Redline in the gearbox, but that's the only oil that we ever use. And I think that's helped to, for us to keep our 6,000 race mile engine still running. So yeah. a lot, all those things that, uh, you know, I learned over the years in open wheel racing have, have translated into endurance racing. So, I, I hate to be the guy who jumps in here, but uh, <laughs> we try to keep this podcast to an hour, and uh, and we haven't done the first half of the podcast yet, and we're at an hour and two minutes. <laughs> so, Bernie, I, I think at this point, what we're going to do is is we're going to wrap this up and then say we're going to get together again down the road, because yeah. I could talk with you for hours, honestly. And I want to think, maybe we do a podcast with Bernie bill where we just talk about if you're a new crew chief putting a car together for champ car yeah yeah let's let's go through the steps because i don't think anybody's probably better to talk about that than bernie how's that sound yeah when when it comes to race cars or indie cars or hot rods or whatever you can't shut me up cool well that's awesome (laughs) i don't know how i'm going to cut this thing up because we're going to definitely have to do a bonus wait wait a second bernie if if people want to contact you and ask you for some tips or whatever how do they get a hold of you uh, my email is uh, Bernie's Rods and Customs, all plural, at gmail.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook. You can find Bernie Myers, M Y E R S. You can find me on Facebook. Blue Shells has a Facebook page. Uh, so I'm pretty, I, I'll give you my phone number if you want. But no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, no but, we don't want to put yeah. that in there. <laughs> yeah, my email and, and, uh, I, because I'll call you at like 2 a.m. just to say, hey, Bernie, how you doing? <laughs> and, and honestly, there was, there's a, a focus team in Florida. 
uh, huh? bent pistons or broken pistons yep. or something like that. I talked with, I told them everything we broke and everything that we replaced with. Uh, they did Sebring, I think was their first yep. race. They did all but the last 20 minutes. Mm. You know, so they so broke. They, I, I was, pr- I was happy to help out another team and nice. and yeah. teach them some of the things that we had learned so they could and, go out. And so Sebring was their first race. It, now, I that, believe it was. That is a, I'm doing finger quotes here, a shakedown race. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I thought it was a shake up race. Yeah, that both. I love it. I love it. (laughs) All right, guys, that's going to do it for this portion of this episode. When we come back, we're going to take a look at uh, what's coming up next week on Inside Champ Car. You are listening to the Racing Wire Podcast Network. Inside Champ Car is a podcast that takes a deep dive into all things going on with the Champ Car Endurance Series. Hosted by veteran journalist, radio host, and racer Brian Belansky and Champ Car's very own Bill Strong, we talk to drivers, team bosses, tech gurus, and series supporters. Episodes air every week in time for you to listen on your way to the track. Inside Champ Car is on the Racing Wire Podcast Network, found on Apple, Spotify, Google, and most popular podcasting apps. Welcome back to Inside Champ Car. He's Bill Strong. I'm Brian Bolanski. Time to wrap this one up, Bill. We had a what a great talk with Bernie. Oh my gosh, that was awesome. I mean, it's just you know he gave away so much secret info. Oh wait, no, he didn't. I did forget when you told me to stop talking. You're like, give me hand signs. I cut it, you know, across the throat. I'm like, dude. I my next question was, what were the best portajohns at Indy? Completely forgot to ask him that one. <sighs> I have a a Porta John story that I can tell. Should I? It's not not? terribly PC. Anyway, so (laughs) I'm I'm at a NASCAR race. I'll do this real fast. I'm at a NASCAR race at Atlanta. This is in the middle nineties. And I'm I'm working pit lane as 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 a you know journalist. And 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 these two people, two people, a a a man and a woman, go into the Porta John together. And and the Porter John starts moving around a little bit, and all of the guys on pit row have noticed this is going on, and they start taking lug nuts, the crew members, <laughs> and throwing them at the Porter John, while these two people are 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 in, enjoying themselves, let's just say, and it was the funniest thing. And then of course when they got out, the entire pit lane oh, yeah. gave them a round of applause. And uh, those right. things don't happen as much these days at the racetrack. Especially with camera. Everybody has a camera now. <laughs> Everybody has oh, a camera. Maybe I shouldn't have told that story. Anyway. That's uh, all right. All right. So next week, what's coming up next week, Bill? Hey, we have Hiller Kadar Calder. <laughs> I can never pronounce his name, even on pit lane. That's why I asked Momo you to do Champ. it. We have the guys from Momo Champ on next week. Uh, Momo Champ, longtime chump car, champ car racers. At one point, they were Momo Chump. Um, one of the coolest looking cars uh, on the track, a little Miata painted up in Momo uh, steering wheel, you know, the steering wheel shifters. They do all kinds of other stuff, their color scheme and uh, really good guys down to earth. They're one of the low budget teams, even though their cars are kind of cool looking. They're one of the, the core teams of champ car. And uh, it's going to be really cool talking to those guys. They did really well at a uh, road Atlanta and uh, we'll see them soon here. All right. I think that's going to do it. Any parting thoughts before we go? Um, yeah, I think VIR is going to be pretty awesome. And right after that, we head to Texas and uh, 
going to be a fun time, man. Champ Car is just starting to wind up. There we go. That's going to do it for another episode of Inside Champ Car. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any episodes. Would also be oh, wait, to- wait, 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 oh, wait, wait. I got one. So you can go to our website now, champcar.org. I've completely redesigned the website. You can click on the uh, uh, the little buttons for podcasts, and it takes you straight to all the podcasts for us. Really simple place to find us. And uh, sorry, go back. Finish your show, man. That's okay. <laughs> if you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast. You won't miss any episodes. It'd also be great if you would le- uh, share it on your social media channels so we can get the word out. You can also comment on the Champ Car Facebook page, especially if it's a good one. If you don't like the show, put the comment on someone else's Facebook page. Uh, A new episode every week. He's Bill Strong. I'm Brian Polanski, and you're listening to the Racing Wire Podcast Network.